legit scientists right now are positing that we live in a simulation. I feel like a lot of stuff is going on in the world that's brought up a lot of these conversations, even in our last couple episodes, just with UAP disclosure and, you know, the Nephilim agenda that we always come back to. The world largely rejects their message and treats them as hostile extraterrestrials who must be stopped at any cost. Hey, campers, welcome back to another episode of Camp Herman. I'm Chris Price. Tori P is not in the house today. We love you, Tori. Um, hope you feel better. Got my boy, Mikey Stibbs here. What's up, Mike? Not a whole lot, man. I'll tell you, though, we've got like a foot of snow on my driveway right now. It's It snows here so much, dude. So, yeah, uh, it's crazy. Well, you, that's to be expected in southern Canada, eh? Eh, yeah. Eh? Yeah, you're in, you're in Montana, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. uh, I'm about an hour away from Canada, but... <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, um, I did an interview with a guy named Brandon Black. He's a PhD student getting working on a PhD in uh, Bible exposition. He's got his master's in theology and we he's been doing a lot of study kind of independent of his program on um, astral language, uh, biblical cosmology. We talk about astronomy and astrology and just kind of how it relates to the Bible and, and Mount Hermon. And um, it was a it was an interesting conversation before before we get to it, though, I do want to mention that I'm so I'm wearing our shirt Camp Hermon. You see, I got this the, the purple color. So we've got our our logo tees um, in a bunch of different colors. Uh, it's a comfort colors shirt, so it's super comfortable. You can go on our website, campermon.com, to get that. I'm sporting my hat too, Mike, my campermon hat. If you want to get a hat, so if you guys like the show and you want to support the show, um, you can go to our website and and just check out our merch. We got some pretty cool stuff there, um, as well as kevlarjoe.com is back up. Um, Nick is is in the, in the in the cafe roasting those beans. So if you want to get some coffee, uh, support him, support uh, Camp Herman. You can go to kevlarjoe.com, uh, use the promo code Camp Herman ten. You'll get ten percent off of any of your orders. And yeah, we'd appreciate your support. All right, so Brandon, we were just talking. Um, so you're Brandon Black. You are currently a PhD student at Liberty University, getting your degree in um, Bible exposition. You're a pastor. You've got your Master's of Arts in theological studies. You said you're you're basically in full time ministry, right? That's correct. Yes. Um, okay. It's uh, it it it's a lot. There's, I mean, it's all over the place, um, and it's different from what most people think of full time ministry. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, so I got my, I got my undergrad in, uh, in Bible. And so I took some like pastoral ministry classes and stuff. And I remember one class, they talked about the, like the burnout rate for like pastors in ministry. And I was like, Holy cow. Mm. I text my pastor. I was like, man, I need to be praying for you more because we're going over the, like what the burnout rate and it's right. It's insane, man. Um, you know, obviously there's the spiritual warfare aspect of it, right. Being in the position yeah. you're in, 
but just in general, I think like dealing with like people in like a ministry slash like religious uh situation, man, people are wild. People are crazy. Mm. People are like we are we're just we're jacked up, man. So um yeah, my hat's off to you there, brother. That's awesome. Yeah. Um so we've kind of been chatting back and forth um a bit for for a little while i've read some of the different blog articles that you post really good stuff and we'll definitely make sure to put uh, a link to your blog in the show notes but uh you've been studying a lot it seems recently on like astral languages biblical cosmology um so man i'd love to hear from you about like what is astral language all right. Um, that is a great question. And uh, it, it is really tied into biblical cosmology, right? Um, which we'll have to kind of explain. But as far as astral language goes, uh, the Bible's full of terms that are associated with stars. I think most people who read their Bible can readily uh, think about like how angels are referred to as stars in a number of places. Um, there's other things like in revelation chapter 12, we, um, we get a picture of the stars. Um, so, you know, I looked up in the heavens and saw a woman and, uh, you know, she was, um, crowned with 12 stars and then there's a dragon and he threw down stars. And, and so there's a lot of language, um, throughout the Bible that has to do with stars. And of course, so astral language just means any language that has to do with stars, um, really it has to do with more than just stars as we think about them. Um, it can be anything that we see in the heavens, you know, whether that's the sun and the moon or comets or, or anything uh, that, that is up there in the sky. Um, and so, like I said, it's, um, it's really tied into biblical cosmology, right? Um, and so, uh, if you want me to go ahead and explain biblical cosmology, I can do that. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's talk about what biblical cosmology is, and I think I'll, I'll have some questions for you about uh, maybe whether you think that we we're living under a dome and the Earth is flat, um, and because uh, that kind of that would fit in with biblical cosmology, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely, some people would say that it that would fit in with biblical cosmology. Um, but I think I would probably have a different take than most people when you say cosmology. Um, and so cosmology in our Norman, uh, normative sense today, we think about um, science pretty much, right? If we're thinking about cosmology, we're thinking about the earth floating in outer space, you know, going around the sun. And then there's all these other stars out there, which are suns in and of themselves, right? And then we have the other planets and everything has an orbit and, you know, the moon's orbiting around the earth. And, and so when people say cosmology today, that's typically what they think. They think about astronomy um, and they think about just kind of how things uh, in the universe are working together. So uh, biblical cosmology, or as some people might, might think of about it more like uh, the cosmology of the ancient Near East, right? Um, people, they thought about it a little bit different. It was still universal in scope, but it wasn't science-based that we think about. 
um, theirs was more of a, you know, how things all work together. And so, yeah, you mentioned like a dome and things like that, right? And so uh, that is actually, uh, there's a pretty good model out there that most people would recognize when it comes to uh, the cosmology that the Bible teaches. Or I shouldn't even say that it teaches so much, but it was the cosmology that the writers of the Bible operated under, right? So um, the, the, the thing that most people might be familiar with in Western culture is um, the Norse cosmology, where you have uh, kind of a three-tiered system, right? Where you have um, a, a tree in the middle, and, uh, and then you had, you know, Middle Earth, right? Like Tolkien used the term Middle Earth, right? He got it from Norse mythology. And, uh, and then they might think about, you know, uh, you know, something higher and something lower. And, and that's basically what we see in biblical cosmology. Uh, we see the earth, we see the heavens, and then we see the underworld, which in Hebrew is called Sheol. In Greek is called Hades. And more people are familiar with Hades than they are with Sheol. Um, and we still have the, uh, the, the tree motif, which is some people call it the cosmic tree or the world tree. Another term for it is the axis mundi. Um, and those, uh, those terms are not always used together and different people use them, um, kind of separately when they're thinking about things. But, um, but the idea that that there are three different tiers in which things exist. Um, and those are all related in some way. Um, so we have, you know, in the beginnings, God created what? He created the heavens and the earth, right? And so we have that um, separation already. We have heavens on the one hand and the earth on the other hand. Um, so what's heavens? The heavens are where divine beings reside, right? That's where God and, and the angels and the other spiritual beings live. And then we have the earth and, and everything that's on the earth is where humanity lives and, you know, the animals and everything else. Well, and then we have Sheol or the underworld, which wasn't really in the picture in Genesis chapter one. Um, it wasn't really until man sinned that this kind of comes into the picture. It doesn't mean it didn't exist. You know, we don't know. Um, the Bible doesn't say, but uh, it was, you know, well, where do people go when they die? They, they go to Sheol. They go to their underworld. Well, how do we make sense of that? If we're thinking like an ancient Hebrew, uh, we make sense of that. Well, when we die, we put people in the ground, right? And so, well, the underworld must be under that because we put them in the ground and their bodies go away, right? Um, and so it wasn't so much that they were thinking about things in terms of scientific, like, you know, like, oh, we think that there's this vast space under the earth where all the souls of people are floating around and, and whatnot. And, you know, if we tried, we could even maybe dig down there and get there. They weren't really thinking about it that way. It was more of a model. Um, that helped them to communicate the important ways that the universe was made and the, the ways that things interacted. Um, and so that's basically what biblical cosmology is.
Okay. So for, for an ancient Hebrew, would they, based on what you just said, it makes me think that they wouldn't have necessarily thought, like you said, if they, if they dug down, they wouldn't expect at some point to like hit Sheol. Does that mean that they also wouldn't necessarily think that there's like a literal like firmament, like, or the, right. or like the dome? Right. Yeah. And so now some people obviously disagree with that. Right. And we know there's people out there and, you know, I've got some good friends who would disagree with me on that. And they would say, no, it says that there's a there's a rakia, right? There's a dome that covers everything. And um, and I don't think that they saw it quite like that. In fact, when they talk about the heavens, there's different parts of heavens and there's different things in different parts of the heavens. Um, so it's really hard to say, you know, oh, there, you know, when we look at all the biblical evidence to say that, yeah, they definitely believe there is some firm dome over everything. And then there were like little holes poked in that dome that the stars were, you know, they were embedded in that. And then that the moon floated across it. And, you know, then if we get into some of the literature, well, even in the Bible, it says, you know, uh, the windows of heaven and stuff. So there's like windows in the dome and there's water sitting on top of it. And so when the windows open, the water comes out. And, um, and you know, I think it was, I think it was much more metaphorical. Um, I don't think that they believed some of that stuff literally. And we're, we're tempted a lot of times to take things in the Bible very literally. Um, and, you know, if we do that, then, you know, we have to say God's a chicken, right? Because he's described like one or God's a man and a woman because he's described like one oh. in different places. Right. So um, Wait, there's just on. let me let me stop you there. <laughs> yeah. Where's. <laughs> oh, God described like a chicken as far as like how, like how a hen will protect. It's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's that yeah. What you're talking about. I was like, wait, yeah. where is God yeah. described as a chicken? <laughs> yeah, because he, yeah, he's described as um, yeah, like a hen protecting, uh, you know, uh, the people, you know, his children. Um, okay, so, I see what I see what you're saying there. If you yeah. take that like hyper literally, you're like, right. Mm -hmm. So he's yeah, okay, I got you. Right, <laughs> right. So so some things, some things I really believe have to be taken metaphorically. Um, that they, they weren't thinking literally, but they were, it's not that it's untrue. They were speaking truth, but they had to find a way to communicate that truth. And I mean, we do that all the time, right? We, we can, we know that, that we can communicate truth because, you know, we read poetry, we watch movies, um, we, we use um, sports idioms when we speak, you know, just there's different things that we say that that we can't take those things literally, but they, they do communicate truth nonetheless. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. So what I hear you saying is that to, to an ancient Hebrew, like we use sports idioms, different analogies and such to them, when they talk about it, they're not thinking like literally like the shield underneath or the dome above. It's just, their kind of figurative language for how they understand kind of how things work essentially mm -hmm. right like in their world um okay then that makes sense that makes right. sense i mean um, I, I i still do the same thing and i think a lot of people do you know sometimes when i pray i look up just because you know like i don't really believe i have to look up to see god right or talk to god but it's just kind of a natural thing that i do um 
you know, there's just, there's different things that, uh, you know, when, when we go up on a mountain, you know, a lot of people feel, you know, in some ways close to heaven, right? They feel it's very spiritual um, to be up there and, and to look over the earth. And so I don't think that we're entirely absent from that point of view. I just think that, that we talk about it differently. Okay. So let's talk about, um, so how is, well, and maybe, maybe we've already kind of been talking about this, but how is, um, the astral language and the biblical cosmology different from modern cosmology? Do we kind of already touch on that really? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, but we, you know, it is different because we think about the, we think about stuff as, you know, like I said, scientifically, typically, um, when the, when the Bible's talking about astral language, it's using it usually to speak of spiritual realities. Um, now it does say like, okay, we know there's a physical sun. We feel the heat from it. You know, it moves across the sky. Um, but then you go like to Hezekiah where it says, you know, the sun's going to rise with healing in its wings. Well, what's going on there, right? That's something altogether different. Um, I shouldn't say Heze that's Hezekiah uh, is not where we find that. Um, oh, I forget which prophet it is. I have to look it up. But Hezekiah used it. Heze it was uh, during the reign of Hezekiah, and he actually had a depiction of that on his coins. Um, so I always think about Hezekiah whenever that, that verse is um, read. But, um, you know, so when we're, when we're thinking about the astral language, um, we're, we're not thinking about, you know, those little stars that are up there and how, you know, maybe they affect things physically. Um, there are spiritual realities that it's talking about um, when we come across that language. So I, I looked it up for you. It's Malachi 4, 2. Yeah, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves from the stall. Mm -hmm. That is beautiful. Yeah, and um, the, the coin by Hezekiah is pretty neat too. I mean, it has like a scarab on it, and the scarab is coming up with the sun, and you know, it think, makes us think like, well, what do we do with that? We have this great king, and he was using a symbol that we would probably associate with Egypt more than anything. Um, and the language of it is found right there in the Bible. So um, really, I think that just places them within the, um, the worldview of the ancient Near East, you know, that they were thinking about things the same way the people around there were thinking about stuff. Right. Okay. So, Brandon, how, what is the difference between astronomy and astrology? You mentioned, um, mm. I think, both of them earlier. Uh, that, that, is a, that is a good question, because in, in our day and age, we think about the two things as being very different from one another. Um, when we say astronomy today, we are thinking about, you know, getting a telescope out and looking at stars and talking about, you know, how the galaxies are made up and things like that. When we think about astrology today, we're generally thinking about uh, 
you know, predictions and, you know, going to your newspaper or, or online website or whatever and, and, you know, seeing what the fortunes hold for you today, you know, is, you know, um, in the ancient world, they didn't really consider those two different things. Um, so, but let me clarify. Uh, they, they had both. So they had guys who were up there looking at the movement of, uh, well, the movement of planets. They called them stars because, you know, they didn't really know that they weren't something different than the other points of light that they saw in the sky. But, you know, they see the planets moving around, you know, um, throughout the course of the year, they see the stars moving across the sky, right? Every night you can look up and see different things. Um, and they noticed, you know, they were, they were watching these things and seeing how they moved around. And so we would probably call that today astronomy. Um, but then in Babylon, which of course, it seems like everything bad originates in Babylon. Um, they, uh, they came up with, that's where we first see the, uh, the first astrologers, basically fortune telling, um, it, and they saw, they had all sorts of fortune telling. Sometimes it was, you know, bad omens. It was, oh, we see, you know, sort of like today, if you, um, if people who are into astrology, they, you know, they might say, uh, well, Jupiter's in retrograde, so nothing good's going to happen, you know, um, or whatever. And so in ancient Babylon, they had the same type of thing. Um, but the science of, whether you want to call it astronomy or astrology, uh, we usually say astronomy, um, but neither one of those terms, I think, really tell you what they were looking at, wh what they thought about it, because um, their astronomy was different. So the, sci uh, the, the way that they were looking at astronomy was that there are signs in the sky, right? And where do we get that from? Well, we go back to Genesis, right? Um, God... He said he created the sun and the moon and the stars, and he created them. One of the things he said that he created them for was to be signs. Um, so the, the stuff in the sky are supposed to be signs. And so they looked at them as signs. Um, we would probably use the term constellations today um, to say that they were signs. Uh, they're, they, they looked at the stuff. They... Um, you know, we, they, they would track its movement. Uh, they had it down to a science. They knew what was going to happen before it happened. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that is, is very different way of thinking about stuff, about the stars than we think about them today, whether, whether it's astronomy or astrology, um, their way of thinking about it was just different. What, what types of things would they know based on their study of, of the stars and the movements and things? Um, well, they would, they, they had a pretty good idea of how the, the sun and the moon and then the wandering stars, we might call them the planets. They, they knew how they were going to move about in the sky because all it takes is math. I mean, that's really all it takes is tracking mm. it and mathematical calculations. And so they had pretty good ideas about stuff. Um, and there's a lot of evidence to show that they, their astronomy 
was rather advanced. Um, you know, we, we use programs today, um, but they had people doing the same thing back then, and they didn't have computers. You know, they had uh, writing utensils, <laughs> basically. And um, so they would, uh, they knew, they knew that, um, you know, during the year, the sun was going to move across uh, the 12 uh, houses that we call the Zodiac today, right? Um, so the sun was going to make its orbit, and, the, and it was going to move across the sky. And as it moved throughout the year, it would go across those 12. Uh, the moon did the same thing. Um, and the planets moved, but they did it differently. You know, they could tell that, you know, Mercury and Venus are never going to be stray too far from the sun. Okay. Um, they knew that Venus was uh, kind of dual in nature because we see, we see this language in the uh, ancient world. Uh, Venus is called the morning star and the evening star. Um, they knew it was the same one because you could see it, right? You could see it when it was in the morning, you couldn't see it in the evening. When you saw it in the evening, you couldn't see it in the morning. Um, and because it's so close to the sun, it, um, it's always going to be in the same area, generally speaking. It's never going to be, you're never going to see Venus in the middle of the night. It's just not going to happen. Um, but Jupiter and Saturn uh, were different. And Saturn moved real slow across the sky. Uh, Jupiter moved slowly, but not as slow as Saturn. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we call all of these planets by uh, Roman names, right? Jupiter and Saturn and stuff. And those are the names of gods. And they did associate deities with those moving stars um, in the same way that the Bible uses... Uh, the term star to refer to angels um, or the heavenly host in general, uh, the, all the ancients saw these moving stars um, as deities. And uh, so they, they in, if we think about things in the terms of astrology and like fortune telling, um, you know, what those stars moving across the sky when they, when they came to certain places, they would maybe think bad things would happen depending on what it was or good things would happen, right? And so we do get that kind of fortune telling. Um, that's not really knowledge. Um, and, you know, there's different opinions on, you know, the validity of that. Some people think that there's, um, there are reasons why they believe some of that stuff and um, other people kind of dismiss some of the uh, speculation out there. Um, but I think that probably went beyond <laughs> that question. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you went, you went deep with that. Um, so, and I, I'm not sure if you answered the question, if you did give it to me in a, in a, in a, in a short, quick nugget. So with looking at the sign, like this, the stars, like, what types of things would they know? Like, are we talking about okay. just like the changing of the seasons or like, Oh, well, yeah, they, I mean, definitely they know the changing the seasons. Um, but I think most importantly, there's, 
when we look at the Bible, the Gospels give us the clearest thing that these people knew. We don't have all of the writings or anything that they have. We don't have everything from the ancient world. But we do know that uh, they were called Magi, right, who came from the East. Mm -hmm. Well, they were astronomers. They looked at the stars. And when they saw the stars were in a certain spot, they knew that that had a meaning. Um, so there's, um, you know, there. this is kind of been proven i think um it's it's fairly proven now some people don't dis, you know disagree with with it but um you know using modern astro astronomy software we can go and look and see where the positions of everything was um back during that time when he was born and you know they saw the king star well what's the king star it's jupiter right moving across the sky um and they saw it enter the king constellation which is Leo the lion. Mm. And they saw it come around the, um, the king star that's in the constellation called Regulus. Um, so, you know, when they saw this conjunction um, and they saw Jupiter uh, kind of circling around that, um, you know, like, oh, okay, this is the time. This is the important time. Um, they can make predictions about when things would be. It doesn't mean they would necessarily be right, but, um, you know, we don't, we don't have all the, the stuff that they had. Um, mm -hmm. we, we do have a fair amount of evidence of, you know, that they attributed, that they attributed the movement of planets into certain places in the sky or certain constellations in the Zodiac. Um, and they attributed the things that were happening on earth to where those things were. Mm. Okay. We don't really think about it that way. Um, we today, you know, people, unless you're really into astrology, you wouldn't think, you know, that this movement of those things have anything to do um, with, with what's happening here on the earth, but they did. Um, and so much so that they might not go out to war if the planets weren't aligned uh -huh. the way that they thought they should be. Um, so some of that we would say is superstitious, um, but they did know how to track this stuff. They did know, you know, their, their, their math was good enough and their experience with tracking the stars were good enough to know um, what the movements were going to be like. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so the event that led the Magi to, um, the birth of Christ, is that something that as far as like what they were seeing that had never happened before and hasn't happened since, like that was a, like, if you're, if you're tracking that a wholly unique thing that they were viewing? Yes. Um, that's a good question. So yes, that, If you went back far enough, you could probably say it could have happened maybe before, but you had to go back. You'd have to go back a long ways mm -hmm. um, for it to be that way. See, John gives us in Revelation 12, he tells us what what the sign in the sky was, you know, that it was in Virgo with the woman. She was clothed in the sun. The moon was under her feet. 
Um, and so John tells us what the sign in the sky was at that point in time. Um, and that had obviously had some sort of meaning to him. Like he didn't spell it out for us. Right. Um, but he was knowledgeable enough that that meant something. Um, and so the, um, there's a, uh, a guy that did a video many years ago. I think it's called the um, Bethlehem Star, maybe. But um, he uh, he he shows how it moves across the sky and how it matches up with the account that we're given for the Magi following it, um, and uh, even over time. Now, is that could it ever happen again? Well, the short answer is yes. Um, it is possible that we have a similar alignment. Like, it's impossible that everything's in the exact same position, okay? I would say that's, um, or I shouldn't say impossible. It's so highly unlikely <laughs> that it would be impossible. Because um, everything, you got to realize you're, you're dealing with um, the positions of multiple things moving, and they don't all move at the same rate and in the same direction as we view it in the night sky at the same time. Um, so uh, is it possible? Yes, um, there are similar situations that we might see in the future. Okay. Um, so, and I'll be fully transparent. Um some of these questions are mine. I had you send me some questions to ask you. I don't want to pretend like, oh, I'm just asking these amazing questions. Although sometimes I do ask some good questions. So we were talking about the Magi. We're talking about the, the birth of Messiah. And one of the questions that you you had sent me um, that we wanted to cover at some point, and we're kind of jumping around a little bit, is if the stars literally foretold the birth of the Messiah at Matthew 2 and Revelation 12, as they say, then um, what else do they say? So that's very like you kind of you brought the the magi up so I wanted to jump to that question because that's kind of yeah. a fascinating question I think. And and that's a question that that has kind of stuck with me and one of the reasons why this is important to me to research and to learn more about. Um the they like I said, right, when when Matthew is giving us that account, he, he's he didn't have to tell us that the Magi, whoever these you know the Magi were, um, there's there's some pretty good theories that they were um kind of related to the field that Daniel was working in when he was in Babylon. Um but there's still some questions out there about it. So but Matthew didn't have to include that, and he did. So he thought there was something to it, right? John didn't have to tell us about that in Revelation, but he did. So they obviously were operating under a worldview that included a meaning in these stars, right? And in these signs in the sky. Um, like I said, the Bible tells us on page one that there are going to be signs for us in the sky. So if that was the sign of Christ's birth, then there's probably other signs we should be aware of in the sky. 
Um, so for me, I started looking into this stuff a while back. And one of the things that I had seen, I had seen some people talking about um, the possibility of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, being associated with the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Hmm. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. I said, well, there are 12, right? And and so then I started saying, well, well, why are there even 12 signs of the Zodiac? Well, the thing is, nobody really knows. Um, the the evidence for the Zodiac, and, and by when I use the term Zodiac, um, just to clarify, um, I use that to mean the twelve, um, the twelve houses, the or the twelve um, divisions of the sky, um, which are marked by the path of the sun and the other planets they go through, um, and so they they move through a certain sign that's in one of those twelve divisions, and. Um, so, you know, we're most familiar with them as like Aries and Cancer and Libra and Sagittarius and whatnot. Um, so, but the, the 12 divisions, uh, which some people call houses, um, I started thinking, well, why are there even 12? You know, why is, why is it divided this way? Um, and the thing is, it goes back to prehistory. As far back as our history goes, we don't know. It, it's almost like it was just there. Now, for people like, you know, myself and and others who, you know, believe the Bible and who believe that you know there was a global flood, and not everybody does, right? But you know, if you believe there was a global flood, um, and that you know civilization was wiped out and then civilization civilization started again, um, somewhere in the Middle East, you know, in the Babylon area or Mesopotamia area. Um, and, you know, that seems to be the starting point for where this knowledge about the stars came from, um, as far as we can tell, looking at historical evidence. So, um, you know, if it goes back to prehistory, well, under a biblical worldview, and that makes sense because, you know, if they had this knowledge before the flood, and then, you know, 99.9% .9 of humanity was wiped out, and then they still had some of this knowledge after the flood, um, well, we wouldn't know where it originated from. Um, I believe that it originated, you know, by God and him telling people about stuff. Um, one of the other traditions is that uh, the Watchers gave information to mankind about uh, astrology and whatnot, and, um, and I haven't I, I know that I know of that, but I haven't gone into into that to you know see exactly what all is said and um, and uh, how that uh, works alongside the the biblical narrative. Um, but we see we do see uh, that there is a relationship between the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve divisions of the sky or the twelve signs of the zodiac, um, especially. Um, and, and so I started looking into that more because I had come across that information. I probably first came across that information with Josephus cause he mentions, he mentions it. Um, 
but I had also heard some other people, and you know how it is. You look up stuff on the internet, and you can find anything. Um, right. But uh, for me, I first started looking into it with the the blessings of Genesis chapter forty nine that that Jacob gave to his children, and um, I had I had wanted to to see if there was anything to that idea, um, and so. I did a lot of research, and the evidence that I found pretty much proved to me conclusively uh, that the uh, the blessings that he gave, the language of them points to the zodiac in a number of ways. Um, and if we look at the blessings that Balaam uh, gave over Israel, you know, he was supposed to go curse Israel. Uh, but he didn't. Instead, he pronounced a blessing. Um, and if we look at those, and if we look at uh, the Song of Moses and what Moses had to say about the 12 tribes, the language in all three of those accounts is very similar. And um, those, uh, the poetry, those are all written in verse. Um, they are positioned in the in the Torah, in the Pentateuch, um, purposefully where they are and and they they say a lot um but the language in all those points to me conclusively that israel was seen to have some sort of relationship to the sky to the signs in the sky um israel's standards matched the uh matched the signs in the sky um and so like just uh give you uh, an example if you look in like genesis 49 and jacob's talking about reuben he, you know he said you know my firstborn uh you'd probably have to read the verse uh but he, he says yeah, I can, i've out. got it pulled up you want me to read it oh yeah yeah read the part about reuben yeah reuben you are my firstborn my might the first sign of my strength excelling in honor excelling in power turbulent as the waters you will no longer excel for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Right. And so uh, Reuben is associated with Aquarius, um, the one of the cardinal directions of the Zodiac. Uh, the cardinal directions just mean north, south, east, and west. All right. And so um, when you're looking up at the sky, if you're dividing it into 12, you have four distinct directions that match up with those uh, cardinal directions. So um, the language there... Um, shows that Reuben is matching Aquarius, the, the language of being poured out like water uh, or overflowing. Um, and we see uh, in, in the ancient world, we have different depictions and we don't have like drawings from every culture. Um, but in Egypt, uh, especially the, the water bearer, the, the sign for Aquarius, he's a water bearer, a man holding a jug of water. Typically today he's pouring it out, but in Egypt, uh, in the Dendera Zodiac, um, the, the picture of the water bearer there, there's water coming out from the pot that he has, but it's coming out everywhere. Um, and we actually see a lot of depictions of uh, men with pots in, around the ancient world in Mesopotamia and whatnot. Um, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say all of those are related to Aquarius, um, but there are a lot of depictions that I, and I'm pretty sure some of them are related uh, in a way. 
especially if you start looking at deities and whatnot. Um, but uh, so that's just one of them. Of course, most people are very familiar with Judah being the lion, uh, right? We have that. That's pretty clear to everybody. And so, you know, like, oh, well, is, you know, that's Leo. Okay, well, that, that kind of makes sense. Um, right. And now, so let yeah, me jump ahead. in and, and ask you. So the next verse after Rubens, it's uh, it's Simeon and Levi. Would they be Gemini? Oh gosh. Okay, you or, had to ask me that. And uh, is it, is it um, isn't one of the one of the zodiacs have to do with the uh, the twins, right? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So Gemini else? is the twins, and um, it, I'm gonna have to pull up. Uh, I have let to me read. Let me read that. it because it it seems like it. I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but because um, it seems like at least again my very very limited knowledge on this as far as like zodiacs and like the signs like oh what are you like oh you're i'm a gemini and gemini's are supposed to be like like two-faced kind of like not like two-faced but almost like you've got kind of like two All almost right. like two personalities or whatever so for simeon and levi so simeon and levi are brothers their swords are weapons of violence let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if I'm putting you on the spot, yeah, don't don't worry about it. Um, Just, okay, so kind of so that was together. no no no. So that's a good question. Now that would be like the first uh, our first idea about it right like oh okay well they're put together so they're like the twins and that's not a bad idea um when i was doing research i had to i had to look at all of them together and and look at the depictions of them um you know look at some of the standards that they had the way their standards were described and look at the other verses that matched up and and i'm going to go ahead and say that uh some of the other people who have written about this stuff in the past um, like uh, uh, Francis Ralston and uh, Bollinger um, and uh, Sice, they they wrote they wrote about this stuff, you know, a hundred and twenty fifty years ago or something, um, and they didn't always agree with each other on on these signs and and who they went with, and sometimes they didn't even give reason for why those people went with those signs okay um so um so let me just read this so uh, simeon's name means heard and levi's name means bound right that's the meaning that uh their mother gave you know for their names when and what they mean in hebrew um so they've been associated with the sign of pisces which are two fish that are bound together um the Hebrew name of Pisces is Dagim, which means fishes, basically. Um, and like fish dispersed throughout the sea, so these two are assigned such a place in the last days. All right, so that's an important thing because, right, in all of those, uh, all these accounts when it's talking about Israel, um, they're eschatological in nature, right? In Genesis, uh, in Genesis 49, Jacob starts off by saying in the last days. Um, and so... Um, so Levi uh, was dispersed throughout Israel, right? Levi didn't have a settlement uh, in the land um, because they were the priestly class. And 
Simeon was didn't even have. If you look at um, if, if you ever look at maps that people draw of Israel, Simeon always just is like kind of this circular blob over in the uh, southwest portion of Judah. It's like there's somewhere over there, but we don't really know. And so they kind of just kind of uh, got um, like subsumed by Judah. Um, so uh, I think that um, that's a pretty good. Um, pretty pretty good uh, suggestion that uh, Pisces there, but uh, Levi uh, being the um, priestly class, they were probably um, represented by Libra. Uh, the scales were original. Some um, some people say, and uh, this is a difficult one because. Um, as as people might know, the constellations and the names of them and what they are do change over time. So the constellations we have today aren't necessarily the constellations they had, you know, three thousand years ago. Um, not that the stars have changed, but just you know what we call them and whatnot. So um, I think that there's good evidence that points to the sign of Libra originally being an altar. Um, and so I think that that could have gone with Levi. Uh, now, that being said, we also have to look at um, the, the arrangement around the tabernacle. So remember, we talked first started talking about biblical cosmology, right? Um, and so the tabernacle setup was set up in a cosmological fashion. Uh, you have... Anybody who's read about this, right, you have the tabernacle in the center, you have the Levites surrounding that, and then in each direction, you have a major tribe, and then you have two other tribes with that major tribe. And um, so we know, you know, we have Judah as the lion, we have Reuben as um, as uh, Aquarius, uh, we have Joseph, uh, who matches Taurus, the bull, and um oh the last one's coming out of my head. Oh, Dan. And we have Dan, um, who's who's an interesting one, um, because he is called an eagle in one place and uh his standard that they bore was an eagle holding a snake. But we don't see that if we look at our constellations today, we don't look up in the sky and see an eagle grasping a snake anywhere. Um, and so people have kind of been a little bit confused about that one. Um, but uh, Dan matches up with Scorpio. And um, and uh, so Scorpio is uh, an interesting sign. Um, and that's kind of a different subject, though, um, from, from what we've been talking about. Um, mm -hmm. But um, so, yeah, uh, I have a... So I, I did write a I did write a paper on Genesis forty nine. Um, honestly, it needs to be a lot longer than it is though, because there's just so much content there, and yeah. you have to include the other. Um, you have to include the other uh, uh, verses with Balaam and, and the Song of Moses there. Mm -hmm. um, so so kind of how it's interconnected. So yeah. um, I want to get to a couple of things before before we finish. Um, so shows called Camp Herman. One of the questions that you sent me uh, to kind of think about and ask you about is how is 
how is Mount Hermon related to all of this? So if you could kind of tie that into what you have covered so far, and then I want to kind of end on um, like, why does this matter? How mm. does this affect our faith, our relationship um, with God? Like, why is this important? So okay. Camp Hermon or, or Mount Hermon, how Mount is, Hermon. this is related? And then ultimately, why does this matter? Okay. Um, yeah. So there is a, a lot of, a lot more that could be said. Um, but uh, Camp Hermon, uh, or Mount Hermon, we're talking about Mount Hermon, right? Well, if we're thinking about the land of Israel, uh, now, some people have probably heard the term cosmic geography, right? Like Dr. Heiser. I think he may have coined that term. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody else use that term. Um, but if we're thinking about Israel as cosmic geography, um, well, what does cosmic mean? Right? It's, it's everything. It's not just the physical, but also the spiritual. Um, and the you know, the, the spiritual is reflected in heaven as well. Um, so we, we mostly think about the watchers, right, with Mount Hermon uh, coming down. But Mount Hermon is the primary source of water that becomes the Jordan River, right? Um, and so the Jordan River, uh, there there's... Most people are familiar with Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River, right? Uh, some people would even uh, remember that uh, Israel crossed over the Jordan River before the conquest of Canaan. And um, Elijah and Elisha went across the river, right, the same way. And uh, Elisha came back across the river. Um, and uh, so... Uh, the river is actually a, a very important cosmological idea. And we see the river up in the sky as well. Um, sometimes it's easier for me to, to, to point to the pictures of things than just talk about it. But um, the, the river is called the, uh, in the Greek, I want to say it right. I have it here. I know I do. Um, Iridanus, and that's probably not being pronounced correctly, but the Iridanus, and I did come across a paper uh, that was, it's an old paper, like, written in 1906, and it was in German, and I had to, like, get some translation of it, and anyway, um, but uh, the guy was basically proving that the name Iridanus that is used of the river constellation in the sky uh, comes from the Jordan River, the name. Uh, in Hebrew, it's Yarden, right? Which is very close to Eridan. Um, it's the same, uh, it's the same um, con uh, consonants in, in that word, uh, in the word Eridan and Yarden. So, um, he, he basically, you know, said that this is where that name came from, for the name of the constellation that we see in the sky that's called the river. Um, and so the Jordan River matches up with the constellation that we see in the sky. Um, and it does so in more than one way. It, uh, the constellation and 
of the river empties into, as it flows through the sky, it empties into an area of the sky that's referred to as the abyss. Um, in the ancient world, you can go back and find the same thing, the same idea in Babylon. Um, the river flowed into the abyss, and they had a thing called the river trial. And if you, um, if you went into the river and died, well, you went down to the abyss. Um, if you went to the river and came out again, you, you came back into new life, right? And it's uh, very closely related to the whole baptism ceremony that we understand today. Um, but in Israel, where does the Jordan River run to? It goes into the Dead Sea, um, which I don't think is um, a coincidence uh, with the abyss being the, the place of the dead and the you know, the river that flows into it. And then we have um, the river that's connected to, on one end, Mount Hermon, and on the other end, the Dead Sea. Um, and uh, the whole idea that, it, that it's flowing down into the abyss, I think, uh, mirrors exactly what we see in the sky. So, um, you know, Camp, uh, not Camp Hermon, but Mount Hermon, <laughs> right? Mount Hermon is, is closer related to that. And I, and I think that there are other, um, I think that there are other things we could draw from that, you know, when we're considering the watchers and them being bound in Tartarus and different things like that. I think that there's definitely some, some ideas that would be merited um, just from understanding that, that it's a reflection of what's seen in the sky, right? The whole idea of as on as in heaven, so on earth, right? Um, or what's above and what is what will be below. The, the two match up. Um, so so that's um, that's the connection to Mount Hermon, uh, you know. But as far as like, why does any of this matter? Um, you know, what does it have to do with faith? Well, we can have a very we can have a faith that's. Um, very uh milk based right as paul would put it right you have the milk and the meat um and and there's nothing wrong with just having a simple faith um you know i believe in god and i trust him and i'm gonna go about my day and that's great uh there's nothing wrong with that um but the word is rich and there's a lot to it and i i've been reading the word for many years and i always find new stuff in it every single time i read it um every single time i teach something there's things that i did not know i was going to see in there that particular time um and so there's just so much to it and i'm i'm pretty big on going back to the beginning um you know i know there's there's a group called answers in genesis and, and I think their name is accurate, right? Like we can find a lot of our answers in Genesis for the questions we have about things. Um, and the first six chapters of Genesis are a very short part of the Bible, but they contain a tremendous amount of history. Um, and so when we go back to the beginning and God says that he created the celestial bodies that we look up in the sky at night and even during the daytime and see, and he says that he created them to be signs. I think that that's important. I think that um, the ancients understood this in a way that we have lost today. And so I kind of want to get back there. I want to be able to to look up in the sky and say, oh, well, that sign means that, and that sign means that. 
if we go even beyond that, um, you know, a lot of people have looked into this and, and kind of realized that there's a message, right? There's a, the message in the skies that they tell us a story. Um, and, uh, you know, that story points to Christ. Um, and again, it's, uh, the language of, of the poetry parts that we discussed earlier, uh, it specifically says it's in the last days. Well, a lot of us are, some people a little bit more consumed with it than others, but, you know, a lot of people think about the last days. We think about the end times. Um, we see prophetic language that talks about things in the end. Well, if the, the signs in the sky tell us something about the last days, then I think we should study this to have a better understanding of these things. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, well, Brandon, uh, appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a fascinating conversation and I feel like we kind of have only just scratched the surface. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot here. Um, if people wanted to connect with you, um, where, where would be the best place for them to do that? I know you've got your blog and, and, uh, we'll, we'll make sure that I link, put that link in the show notes when this episode. Yeah. Yeah, you can, um, I do have the blog. I don't blog as much as I would like to, to be honest. Um, but, uh, people can go to that and, and they can send me a message on there. That's fine. Uh, they can look in the show notes. Um, and, uh, honestly, if people want to connect with me, they can find me on Facebook. Um, and I think that's a pretty easy way to connect because a lot of people are on Facebook. Um, I don't do a lot of other social media. Um, and if anybody ever wants to send me an email, um, I don't know if it, should I say it on here or yeah, you can. You, yeah. Okay. So it's, it's just my, my whole name, which is, uh, Brandon Albert black and, uh, it's at Gmail. And so if anybody ever wants to just send me an email, ask me a question or whatever, I'm always available. Um, but, uh, those are the primary ways to get in touch with me. Okay. All right. Well, I will, I can put your, you want me to put your email on the, the show notes as well, or you want me to yeah, make people work yeah, for you it can put, to, have to well, write it down and try to figure it out. No, no, you can put my email on the show notes. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> That'll be a lot awesome. easier for people. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You may get a bunch of emails, but, um, well, is there, that's okay. is there, um, if someone wanted to kind of do a deeper dive, um, into kind of the, the subjects that we've been talking about tonight, um, where would you point them? Where would be the first place that you would point them kind of help oh. them on that journey? Um, that is a good question. Um, there is not a lot of contemporary literature on this. And that's one reason I wanted to look into it. Um, because, you know, I'm not into doing something that's already been done. Um, if someone else has covered something, then that's what I want to look at. The older um, literature that I mentioned before um, by Seiss and Bollinger and Rolston, you can you can read that stuff. Um, I, I would, you know, I would caution people, um, that there's going to be some information in those that is very speculative or, um, metaphorical. Like there's, there's things in it, you know, they're not necessarily just looking at litter at the, at the scriptures and stuff. Um, so we have a little bit of a higher standard today. So there's not a tremendous amount out there other than those older books that were written. 
um, which is uh, the one, one of them is called The Witness in the Stars and The Gospel in the Stars. Um, there are a couple people who have written books more recently for the average person to read, um, and they're basically based off of those older books. Um, so I would say get the older books because you can find them online. Uh, you can get PDFs of them for free, um, and they will give you a good introduction, but you shouldn't take everything that they say um, as uh, absolute truth because we just have uh, better resources today uh, than what they had you know, 120 years ago or 100 years ago or whatever. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Sounds good, man. Well, brother, I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it was fun. All right, uh, Brandon, until next time, my friend. All right. Camp on. Camp on, Chris. Peace. Came down to top vanity, brought the proliferation of humanity. A fallen sons of the most high God took advantage of the planet he made. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah, welcome to Camp Herman. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah, welcome to Camp Herman.